At Baptist Health South Florida, it's our mission to care for you when you're injured or sick and help you stay healthy and fit. Welcome to the Baptist Health Talk podcast, where our respected experts bring you timely, practical health and wellness information to improve your family's quality of life. Just how open is open heart surgery? And how have new techniques improved not just results, but recovery times as well? We'll get to the heart of heart surgery on this episode of Baptist Health Talk. Welcome back, Baptist Health Talk podcast listeners. I'm your host, Dr. Jonathan Fialco. I'm a practicing preventive cardiologist and lipidologist at Miami Cardiac and Vascular Institute at Baptist Health South Florida, as well as Chief Population Health Officer at Baptist Health. Preoccupation with the COVID-19 outbreak has shifted attention away from other serious health issues we continue to face, like cardiovascular disease, which affects nearly half of American adults. While we continue to emphasize that one should not delay their medical care for fears of exposure to coronavirus, we also wish to let folks know about the innovations in medical care that we at Baptist Health South Florida lead. Hundreds of thousands of heart surgeries are performed every year in the United States, and for years, doctors have been working on new techniques to make these procedures safer and more effective while also decreasing the person's recovery time. Today, I'm very pleased to welcome one of these innovators, Dr. Joseph McGinn, Jr., our new Chief of Cardiac Surgery at the Miami Cardiac Vascular Institute. Dr. McGinn is known internationally for pioneering minimally invasive cardiac bypass surgery. We will talk about that as well as his, his technique. Welcome to the podcast, Joe. Thank you. I appreciate you having me, uh, Jonathan. It's been a real pleasure. Thanks. So, so Joe, you know, we, we use this term open heart surgery quite often, and it's, it's kind of a wastebasket term. Um, can you speak a little bit about, you know, the, the evolution of open heart surgery and what it generally means when we're talking about these surgical procedures? Yeah, so the, the most common procedures we do that are called open heart surgery are coronary bypass surgery. That's where we bypass blockages on the arteries of the heart. The other most, more common uh, uh, surgeries that we do are considered open heart surgery are valve replacement surgeries. Those are probably the two biggest buckets that you'll see labeled as open heart surgery. Open heart surgery has been around for quite some time, started in the late 50s and uh, really revved up in the 70s uh, and 80s. And that is some, one of the most common operations done in this country. As, as you had mentioned, there's uh, 250,000 coronary bypasses done in the United States alone. So it's a very, very commonly done surgery. And, and as you know, it's been around for a while, but we're still innovating. It shows that we haven't figured it all out. So where are the main areas of innovation in open heart surgery and what specifically have, have you developed um, um, in terms of your technique? So all surgeries have been getting smaller and more minimally invasive through different technologies, engineering technologies, including robotic techniques, uh, minimally invasive uh, video camera techniques, laser techniques, and a lot of different ways of trying to get the incision smaller, the patient's recovery quicker, less pain, and so on. Great examples of that are knee surgery, uh, laparoscopic gallbladder surgery, uh, GYN surgery has all been minimalized. So over the last uh, decade or more in cardiac surgery, we've been trying to do just about the same thing, really trying to get to a point where we can create a solution that is less invasive to our patients so they can get better, quicker, back to their normal activities faster. And that would be what we would call one of the approaches would be minimally invasive cardiac surgery. And that would be opposed to what? What would be the, the previous or the alternative to minimally invasive surgery? Uh, well, I, I call it traditional surgery. A lot, a lot of people jokingly call it the zipper. It's a classic <laughs> incision that goes right down the front of the chest and just divides the big breastbone in half. And it's, it's quite a traumatic operation uh, when you think about some of the people that are getting it. 
So the concept would be to create multiple smaller holes that on a whole have much less impact on the patient and have uh, afford a much better and faster recovery. So you're able to bypass the arteries, like you have know, the blocked artery, which is the, the concept of bypass surgery, quite frankly, but you're able to do it in a way that um, does not cut the middle of the chest through and through, and the benefits to the patient are, as you said, better recuperation. Can you speak a little bit about like what that means, better recuperation, what what, what patient could expect with your sure. approach versus the, uh, the zipper? <laughs> the zipper. And a, a lot of people have it. So um, you walk around the pool, you'll see people with, uh, showing it <laughs> off constantly. Uh, yeah. So the the concept is that you we want to keep the chest cavity intact. Try not to cut or break any bones. Try not to cut or or uh, and damage any muscles. So at the end of the surgery, the patient's functionality is pretty much normal. Um, and the way we do it is by going in between the ribs. Um, and the ribs themselves are quite limited, but using some engineering uh, designs and advances and using multiple small holes, we're able to get the same job done without breaking bones or ribs and, uh, and going between the ribs. And uh, as a result, the patient has um, less pain or uh, faster recuperation? Or uh, again, what's the, what, in your experience, what are the patients that you operate on compared to those that have the traditional approach? Yeah, so the whole idea here is to get the patients back to normal activity quickly, and that involves less pain. So in all these patients, we put a, uh, a, a, a marking infusion pump, especially a pump that numbs the area for the first few days, which is the only painful period of time. But after the first few days, this uh, operation is very, very much painless, requires a lot less narcotics, and people get back to their normal activity much, much quicker. Uh, they can even get back to work as quickly as a week after discharge, wow. Wow. Um, as yeah. opposed to two to three months after the standard operation. And we've seen that, which is which is fantastic. So I think a good take-home point now to turn it into a COVID conversation is that of all the reasons why people may delay coming to the hospital, um, and there are legitimate ones, although one of the ones I do want to make note is not having visitors, and we are now in the Baptist Health System allowing a visitor, so there's some relaxation of those restrictions, which were meant to help the patient. But in terms of recuperation for people who need bypass surgery, can you speak a little bit about what could be a negative consequence if they inappropriately delay the surgery? Yeah. So one of the things I've been talking a lot about is we're doing a lot of these surgeries electively. And we have three categories of surgery, elective, urgent, and emergent. Emergent is pretty obvious. Someone comes in in the midst of a heart attack, they need their surgery done right away. People are urgent or those that can't go home but don't need to go right away. The elective group is the one that is the most common, and that's the one that I'm worried about the most because we don't want elective cases to turn into urgent cases because then the surgery becomes much more difficult and the outcomes aren't quite as good. So we want to get the elective patients in before they get to a point where they're in trouble or even have a heart attack. And, uh, you know, we do these elective surgeries because we know that if we don't do them, that at some point or another, the patient's going to have a heart attack, and that could be even a fatal heart attack. So we want to get them before that point. So a lot of times, patients are afraid to come to the hospital because of COVID, and I certainly understand that, uh, but not in, not in lieu of a heart attack. We have to be mind, mindful of the fact that these patients do need surgery, and hopefully we'll get them in sooner than later. I think that's a great point. I have that conversation quite often with patients who at the moment may feel well, but have something obviously which puts them at risk, which is, you know, if they wait several months, nothing good's going to happen. They may do fine 
and three months later be okay, or something bad's going to happen. But it's not like the problem's going to go away or be resolved. So it does speak towards making that decision and acting quicker rather than later for the, for those reasons. What what have you seen at Baptist? Um, you've been here for several months now. Um, um, first place, and I'm asking you a question. Hopefully, we have an answer for. Are, are we seeing any people that have gotten COVID from exposure, certainly in the in the, the cardiothoracic surgical space? So, we do you have any experiences at this point um, um, that you can relate? Yeah, actually, uh, I could say that the number of people who got COVID is very small. I mean, amazingly small. All the staff members have been tested for antibodies, and everyone's coming up negative. Uh, so, the transmission from COVID patients to healthcare workers at Baptist is minimal at best. Even if there is a couple of cases, I'd be surprised. And we don't even know if they got it from working at Baptist, but as you said, the minimal like handful of cases out of you know tens of thousands of employees, which is quite which is which is quite encouraging. Um, so appreciate appreciate that as well. Um, let's talk a little bit about. Um, um, Going back to the surgical procedure now, uh, I think you mentioned that um, people can get back to work, less pain. Cosmetically, it's better as well. You, you mentioned in around the pool, you see the people with the the proverbial, you know, uh, zipper. Um, but do people decide to have this approach with you specifically because of a cosmetic outcome? Is that one of the drivers? Oh, without question. You know, we're seeing younger and younger patients coming for coronary bypass surgery. Scary, but it's true. They are younger and younger. Um, and many of them are diabetics or family histories, and um, they're, are, they're not wanting to have the big old incision. They want to have something that's a little bit more cosmetic, especially for, for some women. We can make the, the incision in the inframammary crease so it's completely hidden, and for men, it's a much, much smaller incision that's much easier to hide. So absolutely, people are coming for that. So I look at, as a preventive cardiologist, a failing, of course, when one of my patients winds up in these bypass surgery, which does not happen that frequently, quite quite frankly. But having said that, um, if I'm speaking to a patient saying, listen, I think you need surgery. I think this is the best chance for you to have you know, a good quality of life and avoid significant cardiac consequences. And you may be a candidate for this approach versus the, the midline, the, the zipper again. What are the things you look at that might say this is perfect or hey, maybe I can't do this approach in you because what, a, what makes a person a candidate or not so, a candidate? When I first started doing the surgery over a decade ago, uh, I did have limitations on who couldn't, who I could do the procedure on, who I couldn't do it on. Uh, but at this point, I would say that most everybody is a candidate. I'll have some provisos, however. There are some patients who I find very difficult to do, challenging to do. Those are the morbidly obese patients. I try my best to get those patients a minimally invasive solution, but sometimes it's almost impossible. Uh, the other cases where we have very diffuse coronary disease, where we are not 100% sure where the bypass is going to go, and if someone needs five or seven bypasses, typically those patients would be better served with a more, more open approach. Uh, but honestly, it's, it's really a rare occasion. It's one or two out of a hundred cases. I don't do minimally invasive. So it doesn't wow. happen that often. That's great. What, what, what's the most number of bypasses you've put in the patient using this approach? Six. I've wow. done a couple of patients with six bypasses. Wow. Um, it, it's, it's really a handful. It's not that common. Most common is three and four. Um, and, and then strangely enough, a lot of single bypasses because of the failed stents. A lot of patients have, uh, proximal LAD stents, and they don't work out after a year or two, and, and surgery is the next best option. 
Right. Given a choice, most people choose a stent because it's not a true surgical procedure, but there are certain anatomical findings in an artery or limitations in the stent where surgery still provides a better long-term outcome. I think we have to be aware of that when we make those recommendations. And can sure. you speak to your outcomes? Again, you've been doing this, you're new to Miami, but you've been doing this for quite some time in North Carolina and New York City. So what, what, kind, of, what kind of results have you received? Yeah, well, we're, we're actually very proud of our results. Uh, you know, as I mentioned, we've been doing this for over a decade. I've been partnered with a professor at uh, University of Ottawa Heart Center, and the two of us have been accumulating our results and publishing our results. And they're uh, very easily to, very easy to look up on Google or whatever you want to check out the results. Uh, but we're very proud of the fact that uh, our procedures actually come out to be better as far as the efficacy is concerned than the sternal approach. Um, and uh, I have the world's largest series. We're, we're almost at 2,000 cases. Wow. Uh, so we have a tremendous experience in this arena. Well, it's great. It's, it's great having you in our system. It's great having you as a resource, both as a colleague and as a friend. Um, and I think you're bringing a, a really innovative and fresh approach to, uh, to South Florida um, for the patients that require um, this particular procedure. Um, I really appreciate your time. Appreciate your expertise. Um, anything you want to add that we left out or any particular points you want to, uh, want to bring up to our listeners? No, I, I think one of the things about the candidates that I would probably like to uh, enlighten everybody, I put them in two categories. One of the categories is patients who are breadwinners, need to get back to work quickly or get back to a normal activity level. This is ideal for them. There's a lot of patients who can't afford the two or three months layup to have a traditional approach just from a financial standpoint. Uh, so this is a big option for them. Then the other group of patients is patients who I believe would not do well with a big invasive operation. Those are debilitated patients, patients who have other disease entities going on. Some people have COPD emphysema, for instance, or people who have other vascular problems. You don't want to put those patients through such a big operation. So I just wanted to let the audience know that there are certain categories that really, really benefit from this kind of approach. So with the exception of being morbidly obese, which I guess can affect your access and wound healing and whatnot, as well as having more than ostensibly six bypasses necessary, which would be pretty, pretty uh, uh, infrequent, um, most people will be candidates for this uh, improved approach. I, that's I great. think that's, that's well put. I think that's exactly right. Great, Joe. I really appreciate it. Again, uh, Dr. Joseph McGinn, Jr., our Chief of Cardiology, uh, Chief of Cardiac Surgery, Miami Cardiac and Vascular Institute. This is uh, Jonathan Fialco. Welcome you uh, again to have listened to uh, one of our podcasts. And uh, as usual, if anyone has any ideas or uh, thoughts or any topics for a future podcast, please feel free to email us at uh, baptisthealthtalk at baptisthealth.net. And as usual, stay safe and stay home. Find additional valuable health and wellness information on our resource blog at baptisthealth.net slash news. And be sure to interact with us on our social media channels for live and upcoming events. This podcast is brought to you by Baptist Health South Florida, healthcare that cares.